Hi everyone, I'm Angel Lim and welcome to eConversation by AMU. In today's episode, we will explore the rising cost of living in Malaysia and the policy challenges faced when tackling this issue. We are delighted to have Ms. Shakira from the World Bank to join us today. Welcome and please briefly introduce yourself. My name is Shakira. I'm Senior Economist here at the World Bank Hub in Kuala Lumpur. I'm with the Macroeconomics Trade and Investment Team. Um, I've been here at the Hub for the last six years. Prior to that, I was um, an, an economist at the Central Bank of Malaysia, Bank Negara Malaysia, um, for almost 10 years, where I was with the Monetary Policy Department. As a side, I'm also a part-time PhD candidate at UCL. I'm not looking at economics, but doing sociology and education, um, especially looking at uh, meritocracy and EU. So there you have it. Thank you for the introduction. Firstly, could you briefly introduce the World Bank as an organization? Sure. Um, so let me give a broad overview of World Bank itself, and maybe I'll move into you know, World Bank Malaysia Hub specifically. So the World Bank is, you know, you may know, is, it's, a, it's a lending institution. It's, um, um, in the past, most of, it, most of our operations are, are focused on um, lending government's money for development purposes. But as countries grow, um, as countries become more developed, I think the need for government is not just about funding, it's not just about money, but it's also about knowledge and information. So um, as we move along, the years and as the bank grows um, it's not just about um, providing money but it's also sharing of knowledge and experiences from other countries to other countries and so that's how that's what exactly what world bank from asia and kl does um, so we don't have any lending operations the government of malaysia does not borrow from the world bank and hasn't been doing so for a while now and so what we do is we do a lot of knowledge um, sharing and analysis for the government on a lot of issues that, that is of interest and of concern to the government, um, particularly in economic growth, in fiscal policy, in private sector development, in social protection, and so on. So that's basically the bank as an institution um, in general. We had a few events in the past to talk about inflation with both Bank Negara Malaysia and professors in Sunway University. So I'm actually quite curious about your take. What do you think is the problem with the current rise in cost of living? Sure. I mean, if we talk about the current trend that we are seeing right now with inflation um, in the last few months or since the, since the first half of the year, um, it relates a lot to increase in food prices and energy prices. So for, I guess, in the case of Malaysia, uh, you've been you probably reading in the news and uh, rising prices of chicken, of eggs, um, some due to supply chain concerns, some to weather conditions, adverse weather conditions. Um, at the same time, we are also facing rising energy issues, um, partly driven by the war in Ukraine as well. So oil prices are on the rise. Um, a lot of energy prices are on the rise as well. For Malaysia specifically, yes, we've been seeing um, rising inflationary trends. But what is helping at least um, for Malaysia that sort of not that it's keeping the uh, rising trend, uh, it's keeping a lid on the rising trend is the presence of food controls and subsidies for a, a number of essential items in the country. So Malaysia, for example, has the highest number of uh, food, uh, price control for food. And as you may know, as a lot of people may know, that our energy prices, our pump petrol prices are subsidized by the government as well. So that has been sort of um, 
the mitigated been the mitigating factor for the current uh, trend in cost of living or prices. Many recent causes for the cost of living like this are due to external issues such as the Russian-Ukraine war and COVID-19, which has interrupted supply chain. So how can we improve our situation and make the economy more resilient against these consequences, which we have no control over? Sure. Um, so, I mean, the economic textbook approach usually is, you know, in, in environment rising prices, usually the response is... Um, that it's part of the consideration is uh, the, the increase in interest rates. So that tends to work if it's a demand-related inflation. So what we are seeing right now, as you said earlier, it's a lot of external factors that are going in, supply-related factors that are uh, entering, that's causing the rise in, in, in prices. I suppose what can be done is, first of all, the people or the groups of people who have been hit hard, hit the hardest uh, when it comes to rising Prices are those in the lower income households. So it's, a, it's very important for the government to ensure that these people are protected, whether in the form of uh, increasing the social safety net, um, whether ensuring that any cash assistance or transfers are received by this group of people and minimize any exclusion um, areas. That means uh, you, as best as possible, you want to make sure those who deserve it get it. So that, I think in the near term, that's the more important uh, I guess priorities uh, that needs to be done um, because we can't really control, you know, external factors as you suggested. I suppose um, related to this is to ensure the social safety net of the country is 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 adequate. Again, the most important is to ensure that the, those the, the ones who are most vulnerable in the society who are most affected by by this trend will not fall through the cracks and and are, are worse off at the end of the day. Thank you for the very detailed explanation. Uh, moving on, what are the data sources and key indicators that the World Bank look at to monitor the health of the economy? So when we talk about health of the economy, I think first and foremost, you look at the macroeconomic indicators. Um, and, and that's what um, me and my colleagues you know, do on a regular basis. So the indicators that we look at, of course, the growth indicators, the GDP growth, from quarter to quarter, and that helps to feed our, our uh, GDP projections for the year and for the year going forward. Um, I guess other key macroeconomic indicators, um, uh, it's, it's the typical inflationary indicators, your export-import numbers, um, as well as um, government financial, uh, financial position indicators, and that includes government debt level, revenue level, expenditure level, um, as well as the fiscal deficit numbers, which helps to inform or provides an idea of where the economy is heading, what it's currently doing. But beyond the microeconomic indicators, we also look at um, micro indicators that tell a little bit more about the health of households and the health of businesses. So at least for the bank, what we do is we conduct timely surveys every few months or so. Um, so we survey businesses, ask them what's their concern, what's their outlook for growth, what's the issue that they are facing currently, and similarly, that's the, the same kind of questions that we ask to households. You know, what are their concerns? Do they have enough to survive? So these kind of questions help to inform, again, paint a picture of how the economy is doing. So you can't sort of you just look at macroeconomic indicators. It's complemented by a more micro set of indicators, which hopefully provides a, a little bit more holistic picture of where the economy is. 
Um, talking about microeconomics indicator, I know that you have contributed to a report in 2020 by the World Bank on cost of living challenges. Could you perhaps share with us some insights on specific areas that Malaysia has already been struggling with prior to recent events? Right. So the, the report that, on, that we released at, at the end of 2019, early 2020, just before COVID, yes, it's on cost of living challenges. I think what we wanted to do then was just to see, um, just go beyond um, the price numbers, the price uh, indicators. Um, and because people talk a lot about, you know, how cost of living is rising from time to time. And, and then at the same time, you hear some counter uh, argument that says, you know, but it's people are still spending out there. It doesn't, it doesn't seem that it's going to be an issue. So what we look at is we look at several dimensions, several categories that affect people's cost of living. So obviously, we look at prices. We look at how prices have been moving. And what we see is what we see from the report is that yes, prices have been increasing in general, but where you are in the country uh, would, I guess, would affect your perception of prices differently. So people who live in, for example, in, in big cities like Klang Valley, Penang, or Johor might experience a much bigger price increase than somebody who lives in rural Kelantan, for example. So that's one thing to look at. The second thing that we um, analyzed in the report is you have prices, but you also have income. We need to look at income as well and how um, household income have been sort of changing and moving over the years. And where we, what we see there is overall, yes, we, the, the macro indica indicators do suggest that we just have been um, increasing in general, but um, there are certain groups of people who are sort of worse off. So these include people who, um, uh, who own, um, I guess, well, yeah, these are, usually these people are younger workers, tend to be, tend to face lower income levels, for example. Those who are without tertiary qualifications tend to, tend to experience much lower income growth. So for these people, obviously, um, they would face a lot more, a higher burden when it comes to rising cost of living. So prices and income. At the same time, we try to look at other dimensions as well in terms of indebtedness. So we see a lot of uh, households, especially low-income households, who are have a much higher debt level. And again, this eats up or, um, on, on their income level and that has an, a longer-term effect on uh, cost of living. Um, and finally, we look at property prices. And indeed, you know, there is a mismatch in supply and demand of property. So there's a lot of demand for um, much more affordable property, but it has not commensurated in adequate supply. So again, all these um, developments do keep our, um, the overall perception or experience that people have in general about rising cost of living. Continue talking about the cost of living. Like you said just now, Malaysia actually has placed a lot of price controls and subsidies. So Malaysia has been taking a rather conflicting approach in dealing with the rising cost of living. Like on one hand, BNM, Bangladesh, Malaysia has been rising interest rate. But on the other hand, the government are using a lot of blanket subsidies for essential goods such as food and fuel. So what do you think, yeah. our, what do you think about our current approach? My perception is a lot of the current approach of policy is it's more about addressing the short-term challenges for households. So, for example, the price controls and blanket subsidies that you mentioned, um, yes, it will definitely help uh, most Malaysians, regardless where you are in the income group, 
in terms of you know um facing the, the rising pressures of cost of living i do feel that all of these measures come at, at a huge price particularly in terms of fiscal costs to the government and if that is not i guess complemented or mitigated by measures to um increase the government's fiscal space then we would run into bigger problems in the future you mentioned that this is a short-term solution. So if we were to consider this over a longer time span, what can we as a country use to leverage our position in the global economy that will keep our position in the global economy and to try and stabilize our inflation? I suppose it's more a lot of a lot of it is structural. So one thing that you know that needs to be looked at is in terms of how our income levels are moving in general. So um, I think there is a case to be, especially when it comes to um, raising the minimum wage, for example, to a, a, a high, uh, to, I guess, at least moving it to the living wage level. So because I think part of the problem that people don't often see is that, yes, with rising prices, um, it has sometimes has to be commensurated by income as well. I think, because some of these issues that, that has led to the situation we are right now, war, Ukraine, weather conditions, again, exogenous factors beyond our control, um, it's very, very important that we have a very um, strong safety net. Again, I'm going back to the same point that you know, at the end of the day, the most vulnerable in the society in the country will be most affected by this development. And if, there is, if our social safety net is inadequate, um, you would see a lot more people falling into the cracks and becoming and joining and making that group of vulnerable households bigger. So that's my very sort of like broad take on it. You have, because of so many subsidies, right? You already mentioned that Malaysia is going to struggle with a tight fiscal policy and we're going to mm. end up with a high statutory debt. So how mm. much room do you think we have to we have to manoeuvre for future policy if the situation do get worse? Well, I, I think you can use most of our reports for the last few years or so. We've been sort of being consistent in our messaging that definitely for Malaysia, the fiscal space um, has been sort of narrowing and, uh, and being further constrained um, each and every year or so. Um, in terms of how do we maneuver, um, that's a big level of question mark. So I think what COVID did, like what COVID crisis sort of showed um, for many countries around the world is that those with um, a larger fiscal space or in a better fiscal situation had a little bit more firepower in terms of providing support to, to, the, to the economy during this crisis. I guess for Malaysia, what is very, very key, and again, we've been consistent about this in our reports, is the importance to raise our revenue collection, the government's revenue collection, um, to create that fiscal space or fiscal buffer, as we call it. Um, so if you compare Malaysia's revenue collection, that's how much the government collects per year, currently we are at about 14 to 15% of GDP. That's how much the government collects um, in the last, I guess, three, four years or so. And it has been on a declining trend. So back in 2012, we collect about 23%. Now it's already about 14%. So, and then if we compare that against other countries with similar levels of development of Malaysia, um, they collect anywhere between 28 to 25%. So there's a big gap. So I think 
that it's very very important if we want to have a, a more room for maneuver and you know you don't know when the next crisis is going to happen raising revenue collection is, is, is important um obviously at the same time there is a look at how the government spends its money. So we talked a little bit about blanket subsidies, for example. That's a very inefficient use of, of money, of spending, because blanket subsidies tend to benefit those who are high income. For example, fuel subsidies, you know, 40% goes for those in you know, top income groups, and only 4% goes to those in the bottom 20%. So that's quite an efficient way to spend your money. So that we need to, I mean, at least the government needs to look at that as well. So in short, it's to raise revenue collection, um, collect more, spend better. I actually went to a talk for the LIC Leadership Economic Forum, and they, and then we met the Minister of Finance there, where he did mention that the few subsidies were actually benefited by the higher income more, and they were to implement a targeted subsidy to help improve the situation. But how would a targeted subsidy work and how can we ensure that it actually goes to the people that need it? I think there are several sort of ideas that have been sort of popping up by the government on this. Um, we already have somewhat a targeted framework, if you will. So some of you may know about, um, initially it was called Banjuan Sarahidu, BSH, BRIM, uh, BPM, cash transfers basically. So we already have that information and that is a form of targeted a subsidy. So one way that you know that has been sort of discussed is to um, do away with blanket subsidies, completely not you know, not go down that path, and instead you know use the subsidy spending and channel it and basically giving it to households that are on the lower income uh, that that at the lower income end. Um, so that's one way to move towards targeted spending. We already have the framework. In I mean, basically, we already have. Uh, a decent database of identifying who deserves it. Um, so it's a matter of improving that because there are households who are being left out and then increasing the amount or the quantum given to these households. Because uh, so far, what we see is, at least in Malaysia, those who deserve it get it, but what they get is quite small to make any significant change. Yeah, yeah. To wrap our session up, we'd like to end with our signature question. Okay. So what role do you think conversation plays in your industry? I think conversation like this is great. I mean, it creates awareness among certain issues. Um, at least in Malaysia, I think when, when you talk about, about economics, when you talk about having conversation economics, people think, tend to think about you know, a lot of the macro broad topics, GDP growth, inflation, and so on. But I suppose this is a, a conversation like this <coughs> opens up the opportunity to think about more micro issues. Like uh, we talked about cost of living, for example. We talked about youth employment, for example. And then those, I think, um, for some, they might, they might not be aware that it's actually an economic issue or social issue that, you know, that they could play a part or contribute in terms of ideas, in terms of where they want to go, career-wise, for example. Um, and I think one thing that can really benefit is, you know, more conversations like this, um, disseminated in local languages as well as in um, in other sort of social media platforms like TikToks or I don't know what kids go through these days, but yeah, something that is a lot more accessible to people because I think when you have a bigger awareness about um, economic issues like this, then I then the the move or the motivation, the incentive to move policies in the right direction would be greater. 
On behalf of AMEU, thank you so much, Ms. Shakira, for taking the time to give us a detailed look of the labor market and cost of living challenges. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you have learned something new. If you're interested in finding out more about AMEU, do follow us on our Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn under AMEU Network for the latest episodes and updates on our initiative. For now, stay safe and have a good one. Bye, guys.